Uh, if you turn your Bibles uh, today to Genesis chapter 6, verse 13. Genesis chapter 6, verse 13. We are talking about, uh, we are talking through our timeless testaments. The most popular Bible stories in the Old Testament is our series. And we are digging in this morning to the story of Noah. And uh, sometimes we've heard all these Bible stories as a child or, in, or through song or storybooks. But sometimes I believe we miss some things and things that we as an adult we can participate in. But just for the sake of our children, uh, how many want to hear some corny jokes about Noah real quick? Ready? Okay, number one, what did Noah say as he loaded the ark? Now I heard everything. There you go, number one. Number two, what kind of lights did Noah use on the ark? Floodlights. There you go. And number three, why couldn't Noah catch any fish? He only had two worms. Anyway, all right. We hear it, we, we kind of know the story, and sometimes we just kind of read through these parts of the Bible and, you know, check out. But I believe there's some deep, deep truths today uh, about Noah and the life of Jesus Christ. And if you're willing, to just be patient with me today because there's some stuff I'm, we're going to pull out. And I just believe we're just going to have one of those wow moments when we really see it come together of who Jesus Christ really is. But let's ask ourselves a question today. Number one is, where do you stand? Uh, what's going on through your life, and when tragedy comes, or trials comes, or temptation comes, how well are we standing, and who are we standing with? And uh, number two is, what is our life built upon? What are, we, what are we building with our life, and what is our life built upon? In Genesis chapter 6, Scripture tells us that the population exploded after the fall, and the wickedness of man was exceedingly great, we saw polygamy, multiple people married, uh, marrying. Uh, we saw murder and rape and violence on an unprecedented scale. And it was to the degree that the descendants of Cain had followed their ancestor Cain. Remember we learned about Cain who killed his brother Abel uh, because he, he did not deal with the issues of his heart. And that, that generation of Cain and many like him began to populate the earth and, and corrupt it with violence and sin spread like a cancer. But then there was a line that followed with Adam, and that line was the line of Seth. And the many people who followed out of the line of Seth were righteous men and women who called upon the name of the Lord still. But the population had gotten so bad, the violence had gotten so bad, wickedness had gotten so bad, that even the descendants of Seth were being corrupted by the results of sin, even to the degree they were intermarrying with the descendants of Cain and all these wicked people. So it had come to the Lord's attention that every person on the earth, every single person had wickedness in their heart and everything that they thought was intensively evil. They could not help but look towards evil and think on evil and pursue evil. And had the Lord not intervened, there would be no righteous man left. And had there be no righteous man or descendants left, mankind as a whole would be lost and Jesus Christ would never have had to come, never been able to come to the earth many thousands of years later. So the Bible says in Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, because God had a plan for man's redemption, that he saw a man named Noah, one of the last descendants of Seth, who still found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And Scripture says that Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time, and that Noah walked with God. God's going to use Noah in a moment to save the world, and he's going to foreshadow this great plan of redemption through Jesus Christ. 
that any of us who today now believe can be saved. But let's look in Genesis chapter 6, verse 13, and we're going to just kind of tell you the story of Noah. So God says to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. Now, we don't know what gopher wood is. And so here's number four on our corny jokes for the day. And Noah said to God, What is gopher wood? And God said to Noah, Stop asking questions and go for wood. Okay, I'm done. I promise. Okay. So God tells Noah, Build this ark out of gopher wood. We really do, don't know what gopher wood is, by the way. And so God begins to tell Noah to build this ark, that a flood is coming. God, Noah's never seen rain before. He doesn't know what a flood is. But God tells Noah uh, many, many years in advance. Noah, we think, is somewhere around 500 years old, maybe a little later. His kids have gotten older. But he tells him to build this ark. And so he gives him the specific instructions, and he tells him the ark is going to be 450 foot long. It's about the size of one and a half football fields. It's going to be 75 foot high. And God makes this covenant with Noah, this promise that he will save his wife, his three sons, Sham, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives and every living thing. And so God promises, Noah, I'm going to give you two of every kind of bird, animal, and creepy thing, and that they're going to come to you, and I want you to keep them alive. And the Bible specifically says that Noah did all that God commanded. So let's fast forward many decades now. It's been almost about 100 years all right, Noah and his family have been building this ark at, and, and haven't ever seen rain yet. And at 600 years old, Noah had finished the ark. And God gave Noah this final warning. He says, in seven days, everything is going to come to you. I want you to be prepared to take on not only the two-by-two two animals, but seven-by-seven, seven, those clean animals that you're going to sacrifice to me, those sacrificial animals are going to come to you, animals and birds, in seven days, it's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights, and every living thing on land is going to die. And again, the Bible specifically says in chapter 7, verse 5, Noah did all that God commanded. So here we are on the seventh, second month of the year, Noah, 600 years old, his family enters the ark after the seven-day period. Now, at the end of the seven-day period, two animals of every kind, God miraculously begins to send to Noah. And seven of every sacrificial animal, just as God had said. And in chapter 7, verse 16, God shuts the door. All right? God shuts the door, and then the flood comes. The Bible specifically says the deep bursts open, and then the floods of heaven opened, and it rained and flooded for 40 days and 40 nights, so much so that the water rose 22 and a half feet above the tallest mountain. That's pretty high. 22, and the, now that's pretty scientific for the Bible, an ancient text led by God to give us the exact feet above the mountain, all right? 22 and a half feet above the highest mountain, and everything dies. After 40 days, God closes the floodgates of the deep in the sky, and the water is there floating on top of the earth for 150 days. And over that time, it begins to slowly recede. And the Bible says that God blew upon the waters, and God sent Noah and his ark to rest on the peak of Mount Ararat. And at the end of that 150 days, by the 10th month, the mountains had become visible. And it was 224 days that Noah had then been on the ark. And so after 224 days, Noah is there sitting on that that ark. The ark has stopped. God has uh, rested them there. And after 40 days of being on that place, God, uh, Noah sends out a raven, and the raven doesn't return. It keeps flying around until it finds dry land. So after seven days, Noah sends out a dove, but it finds no rest. It comes back, and seven days again, he sends it out. This time, it comes back with an olive leaf, giving Noah that, that chance of peace and of hope. And again, he sends it out after another seven days, and it doesn't return. 
So in the 600th year of his life, after being on the ark 370 days, Noah leaves the ark as God commands, and God says, be fruitful and multiply again. So Noah comes out of the ark. He sacrifices all the clean animals that God had given beyond the two. And God then makes a new covenant with Noah that says, I'll never destroy the earth by flood again. And he gives him some extra rules. And then the, God says the sign's going to be what? A rainbow, right? His covenant now will be a rainbow. Okay, that's the story of Noah uh, and his ark. And sometimes we miss the thing about the seven animals and the days and the times. But can you imagine being on the ark a year? Man, that would sink, right? Just think about the practicality of it. No lights, no bathroom, all that kind of stuff. That God is going through all that. Not to mention you've lost every person you've ever known. Just you and your family. There's only eight of you there. Uh, And what is going through his mind during this time? And not only that time, but what about the hundred years you were building an ark that nobody ever saw rain before? So think about the faith. And we've talked about this before. And there's a lot we can take in from Noah's story. But my main question for us today is this. What are you building with your belief? And if I had a title for today, that would be it. Building your belief. Building your belief or building belief. What are you building with your belief? There's some things that we're going to go through, and number one is this. If we're going to pretend we're in this story, I want us to kind of see what's going on. Uh, And in the Bible, there's a lot of types and shadows, and a type and a shadow is this, is where we can look back in the Old Testament and see Jesus Christ illustrated. And the story of Noah is one of the most beautiful stories that we can see Jesus Christ in. And the first thing we can pull out with Noah is that Noah wasn't perfect. 2 Peter 2, verse 5 calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. Scripture says he walked blameless in righteousness, and he was like his grandfather Enoch. He stood out. This guy was honest. He was devoted to his family. In this huge day of immorality and violence and murder, and you know, Noah's not perfect. He's he's a normal, everyday guy. He has sin. He's got problems. He's got issues. But he stood out from his culture. Man, today, the world is looking for a people that would stand out from the culture of this world. Bible says that he was a preacher of righteousness, not necessarily that he preached messages, but by the way he lived, he demonstrated the righteousness of God apart from the rest of the world. And so the first thing we want to do this morning is believe the righteous man. God communed with this guy. He made a covenant with him because God saw that his character was faithful and he was justified by it. So God comes to this Noah guy, calls him a preacher of righteousness. Man, this guy stands out apart from the crowd. And God begins to commune with him and begins to use him. You know, the Bible says that despite the flood today, even after the flood, that Paul says in Romans that man, mankind once again has become full of wickedness and greed and hate and murder and envy and quarrels and deception and the like. And Romans 3.10, written many years after the flood, many, many years after the flood, says that today there is not one righteous, not even one. So who can be saved? So in the day of Noah, man, people are murdering and, and violence and all this stuff. God finds one guy. He's still not perfect, but he sees some faithfulness in Noah and decides, I'm going to talk to this guy. I can use him because if I don't, man, the world's going to pass away. So because of Noah's faith, God saw him as righteous. But today, Paul says, there's not even one person. There's not one person by natural process alone, without God intervention, there's not one person who's actually good. You mean, you can go to our churches today all across America, and you can get some noses stuck, that, stuck up at you. You can go to places today, they're going to look down on you, they think that you're not as good as them. But the Bible says there's not a single person on the face of the earth without the sovereignty and the grace of God that is good, that is worthy, that is usable. 
by God. It is by His Spirit alone, His grace alone, that He says that. And Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 6, says that God would use a, the root of David. He would send a righteous man to the earth for us because there's no righteous. He would send the righteous branch of David. That would be the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And God said in His sovereignty, I see a day coming where I'm going to have to destroy the world again. There's coming a day if I don't send someone, mankind again will destroy themselves. And so I'm going to send them another Noah. I'm going to send them the Messiah, Jesus Christ. My son is going to come to earth. He's going to be the righteous one, the, the one who is righteous above all others. And so Jesus comes into the world, this perfect, righteous, and sinless man. He's God the Father begins to make a covenant with his son because of his perfection. Just like God had begun to talk to Noah to make this agreement, Noah, I'm going to save the world through you. God begins to talk to his son up in heaven. Psalms uh, 89 talks about that God and Jesus begin to make this agreement. And God says to his son, son, I need you to go down to the earth. I need you to die for these people because if you don't, there is no chance of survival for them. And Jesus says to God, okay, Father, I'm going to do that. Uh, and even in the garden, we, we remember that Jesus says, you know, Father, if it's possible, don't let this happen. But if it's not, your will be done. So he makes this covenant with Jesus. God and Jesus begin to make this agreement. And his son, the new Noah for us, comes to the earth so that whoever believed in him would never perish but have everlasting life. Jesus comes. He begins to preach this good news of salvation. He begins to preach twofold. Number one, this is the good day. Man, this is the day of the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is in here. Repent and believe in the good news that today is the day of the Lord's salvation. But at the same time, Jesus preaches another side of that message. And unless you repent and believe, there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For in the days of Noah, just like in the days of Noah, for the coming of the Son of Man, he says in Matthew chapter 24, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, having a normal day, having a normal life, until the very day that Noah entered the ark, life continued on. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. He says, so will it be when I come again. So here we have this awesome parallel. Noah makes an agreement with God because of his righteousness by faith. Jesus comes on the earth, makes an agreement with God because of his righteousness. And he says, anybody who believes in you, Jesus, just like they believed in Noah, will be saved. Well, here's the issue. In the Bible days, God found nobody righteous but Noah. Not even his wife, not even his sons, not even their dogs, their cats. And nobody was righteous. And it was only Noah. So God makes a covenant with Noah. And no doubt, man, Noah being a righteous man who communed with God, who walked with God, he began to intercede for his family. No doubt Noah was a praying man. And he loved God and he walked with God. And he said, God, the corruption of this world has come against my wife. It's come against my sons. I don't even know if my sons are saved. And God tells Noah, Noah, it's coming. It's gotten so bad, Noah. I'm about to destroy the earth. If you can't get saved, there's going to be nobody after you that's going to come and save this world. I'm just going to wipe man off and start all over. And God begins to intercede. Or Noah begins to intercede, no doubt. And God said with Noah, he said, Noah, I'll make the covenant with you, but you can bring your family on that ark. And it was the faith of the family and Noah and his message that saved them. They were not righteous of their own. Look back in Scripture. The Bible says only nobody was righteous but except for Noah. That means his family wasn't righteous, that they were sinners just like everybody else and perhaps were falling away from God. But Noah's faith in his walk with God, God communes with him. He says, Noah, I'm going to send a flood and here's this covenant. I'm going to save you. And he says, you can bring your family with him. But what did his family have to do? 
Man, they had to believe him. They had to believe him. They had to believe that God talked to my dad, that God talked to my husband, that, that I believe that this is the message of God. And it was that belief, it wasn't their righteousness that saved them. It was the righteousness of Noah. But it was their faith in the righteousness of Noah. Let me tell you today, you alone are not good to be saved. It is only your faith in the one who is righteous, Jesus Christ. There's no salvation apart from Him. There's no goodness apart from Him. I'm just like Ham, Sham, and Japheth. I'm just like the family of Noah. We are all condemned to die apart from a holy God. But Noah's righteousness saved his family because they believed and followed Him. And what does Jesus say when He comes to earth? Hey, follow me. If you repent and believe and come follow me, I'll make you into something. And so today, who is the family of faith? Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, man, there's this family of faith. The family of faith are those that would believe in Jesus Christ, the new Noah, and say, hey, guess what? I believe in this crazy, crazy story that there was a baby in a manger who was not, had, didn't have a dad, but he was holy God and holy man, and he came and he lived a sinless life, and he rode on a donkey one time and healed some leopards, right? I mean, we, we hear these stories and he died, but he didn't die. He rose again three days later, and then he came back, and he had a body, but not really a body. And for 40 days, he talked, and then he ascended, and then he sent the spirit of him back, but not his body. I mean, we believe some crazy stories, right? I mean, really, look, listen to our, our message through the world's eyes and through the world's ears. It's foolishness. Man, God loves to use foolish things. He loves to use foolish things to shame the wise. And no doubt, the family of faith had to do some incredible soul searching. Dad's not on his meds today, y'all. I mean, he just talked about some, some stuff coming out of the sky and from the ground. And, and I know he's out there. And he, you know, he goes to that mountain every day and talks to himself, looking up at the sky, you know. He says he's talking to God, but I've never heard God. Right? How do you know Jesus is real? You know, my sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so, my aunt, my uncle, they, talk, they say they talk to God. They say they feel God. They say they know God. They, they read this Bible, this story, and they say this all really happened despite what science says because we've never seen anybody raised from there. We've never seen anybody healed of this. We've never heard this. Or, you know, all the skeptics say this. But do you believe the righteousness of the man who said it? By faith, Noah's family were justified. By faith, they, the righteousness of Noah was imparted to them. In the same way today, if you believe in the message of Jesus Christ, no matter how crazy it is, His righteousness is imparted or imputed to you. And it's by faith that all you've got to do is get on the ark. All you've got to do is enter in. All you've got to do is say, yes, I believe. And Jesus says in John eight thirty one, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. The disciples had to forsake all they knew and all they had just to follow Jesus by faith in his word. No doubt Noah told his family and they all thought he was crazy. I can think of it this way. They can say, Noah, you've never built anything in your life. Noah, how's the animals going to come? Or Noah, do you know how long that is going to take? One and a half football fields. Noah, we've never even played football, so what are you talking about? I mean, Noah, it's been 10 years where you started this project. 20 years, Noah, you're still building it. We've never seen anything. 30 years, Noah, God hasn't spoken to you again. Can you imagine the faith it would have taken? 
40 years, no, you, we've convinced us. Okay, I believe you're sincere. I believe in your righteousness. I believe God talks to you. But you haven't heard from God in 40 years, and we haven't seen any rain. 50 years, Noah, it hasn't happened yet. I'm a lot grayer than I was before, and we've still got this project going on. 60 years, 70 years, 80 years of mockery. God finally speaks when Noah turns 600 years old again. How many years would you go through a trial of testing and faith. Man, you know, it takes a lot to get through living life on this earth. Seventy years of life on this earth and still trusting Jesus every step of the way. Despite what the world says, despite what situations come your way. Maybe you're here today and you've been wondering, is this worth it? Is this real? Is God really doing something in the world? Is this church stuff all hype? Because let me tell you all, across the 70 years of lifespan, even in my own little 32 years of living, there's been some times where I wonder, is this thing real? Is God really speaking? Is it really worth it? But if you want to be in the family of faith today, you don't trust in your own righteousness, you trust in the righteousness of the man who's the preacher of righteousness, Jesus Christ. And Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us that faith is that confidence of things we hope for, the evidence of things we cannot see. It's that trust that what God is saying uh, is true, and I'm going to have the action to carry it out. So my number one, I'm going to give you four questions today to ask yourself to take home. Number one, are you faithful? Are you full of faith? Are you faithful? Do you believe the righteous man? Somebody looks to you today and say, why do you go to church so much? They've been saying Jesus is coming for 2,000 years. You give how much to missions? You give how much in tithes? You can't seriously believe that. Despite all the hostility, Noah's family believed that message. They followed him, and they were saved by his righteousness through faith. The same way you're saved today. There's only one family that makes it to heaven. That's the family of God. How are you standing today? Are you faithful? Are you standing by Christ and with Christ when no one else does? Is your character like his? Do you stand apart like Noah did? Let me give you this to think on. If you're not standing with Christ against the world today, we're no better than those descendants of Seth that compromised through idolatry and brought more swiftly the judgment of God upon the earth. The church that compromises brings the judgment of God most quickly. The church that looks with the world today, and even though they, they are of that name, they are of that descendants of Seth, they are of that royal line, that righteous line, they have that name. But if they begin to compromise, the judgment of God just comes much more quickly. But today, God is looking for someone that says, do you believe in my report? Do you believe in my word? Will you stand with me? Are you faithful? Come on and enter in. So we believe that righteous man, number two, we move on. It says, or what are we building with that belief? So I believe that righteous man, number two, I build something with it. You know, Noah wasn't perfect. He's that, he's that righteous man. But, but the question for us today is, God says to something to Noah in Genesis chapter 22, says that Noah did all that God had commanded. Noah begins to prepare that ark for the salvation of his home. He becomes this heir of righteousness according to faith. But here's this. If Noah had not built the ark, what would have happened? He and his family wouldn't have been saved. But here's another question. What if his family had not entered into and helped build the ark? They wouldn't have been saved either. Pretty common sense, right? They didn't help build it and enter in. So the question is, what good is a Christian who hears the message of righteousness but doesn't help build the ark and doesn't enter in? 
It would have been no good for Noah's family to say, that's my dad, that is my dad, he's a little crazy, he believes in God. But never believe enough to go help your dad build that ark, and never believe enough to go enter in. So many Christians in America today, I'm a Christian in name only. Oh yeah, that's Christianity, I'm a part of it. I know that guy, he's my dad. But yet you don't believe enough to believe in the message he's preaching to believe enough to change the way you're living, to change the way you're thinking, to change their time and what you do with your time when judgment is coming upon the earth and Jesus is coming back soon. In John chapter 11, verse 26, Jesus says, Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a one-time confession. It's not a hand being raised. It's not a one-time altar call. It's simply saying, God, I believe in enough the message to help you build the ark. God, I believe enough in the preacher of righteousness to help you do something about it, God. I help you. My belief is building something. What's your belief building today? Will we enter eternity, the gates of heaven, if we've never helped God build the ark and if we never enter in? Think about that today. The same is true for every Christian. So the second question I ask you today is, number two, are you following the plans of God? Are you following the plans of God for your family? Because we are a family of faith. We're not like the world. We stand apart. We are different. We're, we're not like them. We're full of faith. We're faithful to the believer, or to the preacher of righteousness. We're faithful to Jesus Christ. And so we believe the righteous man. We're building something with our belief, and we're following those plans of God. Think about it this way. There is one family, one ark, one door, and one flood. Follow me. Real quick, Ephesians chapter 4 tells us there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called, and one hope of your calling, okay? One family, one flood, one door, one ark. The Bible says there was this stuff that, God, that Noah's, uh, Noah used called pitch, and he covered the ark with like a tar. That same word for pitch in Genesis chapter 6 verse four, 14 uh, is the same word, uh, scholars tell me, is the same word used for atonement later on in Scripture in Leviticus, so what was happening there, and, and you think about the theology of it, is that Noah had covered, there was a covering over this vessel of salvation, because that's what an ark was. It was a vessel of salvation. And over this ark was a covering, a pitch. Everything was sealed with it, and everything was held together. The Bible says that you and I are covered by the blood of Jesus, that we are atoned for, anointed. And so everything that was inside that ark was covered by the blood of Jesus. Everything inside that ark was anointed, atoned for, covered. They, God had paid the price for it. And today, if you are in the vessel of salvation, the church, you are under the blood of Jesus Christ. There is but one ark, and there is but one church, and there is but one covering, and that is the blood of Jesus. And there's only one way to salvation, that's by being on the boat. Being in the church of Jesus Christ, the spiritual church. I'm not talking about the denomination. I'm not talking about Sanctuary Family Worship Center. I'm talking about by faith, I enter into the church of Jesus Christ because I am underneath the blood and therefore I am in the vessel of salvation headed for my eternal home. So there's one ark and one covering. There's also one door. There's only one door on the ark, and just as there is only one door on the ark, there's only one way into the church. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through what? Him. There should have been more amens on that one. <laughs> Jesus said, you know what? Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life, and only few find it. 
You know, Noah in his 600 years of life being a preacher of righteousness saw only himself and his seven family members saved. Narrow is the way. Because only those who believe the preacher of righteousness enough to get on board the ark are saved. They can all say, yeah, that's an ark over there. Yeah, did you see Noah? We all know Noah. He's my neighbor. But unless you get on the ark, unless you enter in through the door, unless you are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, there is no salvation apart from him. Because there is only those who believe enough to build something out of it with their life. There was one covering, one ark, one door. There was one baptism. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20, that those eight souls were saved through water, and this water was the baptism that now saves us. He says it's not the physical water. It's not really about getting in this tank over here and the washing of it, but it's the, the pledge of that clear conscience towards God. It's that faith to follow Him. It's that faith that the Holy Spirit is renewing me and washing me. It's that spiritual baptism And so just as Noah and his family went through the flood waters, you and I today go through the baptism that enters into the new life with Jesus Christ. And and while some might want to say it's about the words you say or the water you use or the temperature of the room, I don't care what kind of religious things they want to put on baptism. It's a spiritual act of commitment to God, washed by the Holy Spirit, because just as Noah and his family said we were going to die unless we got on the ark, so to us, unless the Holy Spirit changes our conscience, renews our minds, and brings us to the death of self there's no salvation apart from jesus christ you can get baptized every single day if you want to unless you're renewed by the holy spirit and you have an inner change you're not going to heaven it's not about the physical stuff it's not about the water temperature or the rites of the pastor or the miracle water they might try to use i don't care what you try to buy on tbn there's only one baptism and that baptism is that removal of the dirt of my soul, the clean conscience towards God, and the washing of the Holy Spirit. There was one covering, one ark, one door, one baptism, but there were many rooms, and there was enough room for everybody on the ark. And Jesus says, Come who all you are weary and heavy laden, come to, you, come to me, the blind, the lame, the imprisoned, the captive by sin. There is room at the cross for you. He says in John 14, There are many houses, there are many dwelling places in my Father's house. And I go to prepare a place for you. That means that Noah made sure there was enough room for his family. And if you enter into that ark, just be sure that God has a place for you. And I don't care what churches try to exclude you. I don't care if they look and say, well, you've got earrings or tattoos or you look like this or you've written this many hot checks or you've got a history of drugs or alcohol or you've been with X amount of people or you've had 13 marriages. It doesn't really matter. If you say, Jesus, I believe enough. I'm coming through the door. He says, come on in. There is room for you. And if you are building a church that's any different than that, I'm sorry, you're not building the right ark. You're not building the plan of God. You're not following the plans of God because we have to build according to the plans of God. Number three, number third question is, are you working out your salvation? Noah had work to do, not only to build a feed the animals. You know, it, it, it wasn't just going to happen. He had to build it. He had to feed them. He had to shovel the poop out the windows, no doubt, through that year. I mean, there was stuff that wasn't pleasant to do. The Bible says we're going to go through trials and testings and tribulations. There's going to be people who hate you for his name's sake. This is not the road for the lighthearted. A hundred years of building something with mockery and slander and violence in the world. No doubt 
Man, today, if we were trying to build the ark, we'd have to have the AR salt rifles, you know, protecting us. He said the world was full of violence, uh, that there was murder, and no doubt Noah was worried about his family. God, we're st- you're keeping me here for how many more years? What if we don't make it? God's sovereign hand was on them, but they still had work to do. Church is not about coming and sitting and listening to a good message and going home feeling good about yourself. Building the church is work, and the Bible says... Paul repeatedly says in Ephesians, I mean, there are many gifts. There are some for equipping and the edifying and the building up of the saints. That every single person in Romans, it says that God has a spiritual gift for you for the edification of the church. God has something for you to do. And let me tell you, if you believe enough the message of the righteous preacher, Jesus Christ, and you come to his ark and you say, I believe your message. You know what he's going to say? Here's a hammer. Here's some nails. Here's a saw. Let's get to work. We've got to build this thing. There's a lot of people who want to come in, but it's not floating just yet. We're not ready to take it home just yet. Let's get on, work, get on with our, our hands and our feet, and let's get to moving. Because God says, uh, even Paul says, are you working out your salvation with fear and with trembling, knowing what's coming, knowing what God has called you to do? And think of it this way. On the ark, there were builders and feeders. They had to build the ark. They had to feed the animals for a year. Jesus says, make disciples, baptize, teach people. Are you doing your part today? Is God's power working within you? And what are you building with your life that is only possible through Jesus Christ? Number one, are you faithful? Number two, are you following the plans of God? Number three, are you working out your salvation? At Sanctuary, we talk about this a lot on our leadership team. that say, if we were a football team... There's nobody on the sidelines. Everybody's in the game. We say that a lot in our monthly meetings. We don't believe in a church where there are people who are spectators. We're all participants in the mission of God. Every single person in our church has a place to serve. Every single person in our church has gifts to use because we're working on our salvation because God has called us to build something for the salvation of this community and for the salvation of the world. We are here to build up the church of Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. amen. Lastly, are you trusting in the promise and being led by the Spirit? Last question. Knowing his family trusted in the promise of God to save them, God patiently held back the flood for 100 years just to save eight people. Think about that. Second Peter tells us that God is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient for our sake. But one day he's going to come like a thief in the night, and the earth is going to pass away by fire. Let me tell you this. <clears throat> How we have to trust in God in this last day. And I'm going to close. The ark had no rudder, it had no sail, it had no anchor. That's trust. There was no wheel, there was no direction, it was simply trusting God. If you think about it, from the very beginning, what really did Noah do? God said there's going to be a flood. God told Noah a hundred years in advance. God gave him a seven-day window God brought the two-by-two animals. God brought the seven-by-seven animals. God protected his family from dying in the violence, right? God gave him the building plans, by the way. And then when they all came, God's the one that shut the door. And then, let's go even further, when the flood came, God is the one whose spirit blew the ark to the right place. So when I look back that this week, and I'm thinking, well, Lord, what in the world did Noah do? He just kind of was along for the ride. And then it hit me. What about you? What about you? Man, I, I, I look at our lives sometime. Ah, God, I got this to do, that to do. I'm so busy, God. We start to question God. We wonder why this is happening, why that is happening. We get so f- flustered with the things of life. And when I look back and God's like, 
I'm still spinning the earth. I still got the stars in the sky. My son died for you. I've promised to give you my word. I promise to put my spirit in you. I promise to lead you, to guide you. I've promised to resurrect you from the dead. I've promised you an eternity where there is hope and life and abundant and joy forever and ever and ever. Oh, and then another ever, ever and ever after that. I mean, and I look back and I'm thinking, okay, you know, that peace of God just comes over you when you get a perspective and say, God, you're sovereign. You're the one doing this. It's easy in that 100 years of faith testing, that 60, 70, 80 years we're living on this earth to think, God, i got to figure it out. God, i got to get all this money to live. i got to retire. God, i got to get through this sickness. God, i got to get my kids to college. God, we got to do all this. And God, that person doesn't like me. And, and at the end of the day, it's just like, peace be still for a moment. God's got it, right? God's got it. There's a story of the Celtic monks many, many years ago when the 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 Celts were beginning, they were, they were Irish, and they're beginning to go out, and there was these monks in these monasteries, and there was these little bitty boats. They could only fit a, used to, the, less than 10 to 8 guys in it, you know, small little boats. And they had a sail. They didn't have a, really a rudder or anything, and sometimes they had some oars. There's a story of these Celtic monks that they would go out and test and trust the Spirit of God. It was called Catching the Wind. And these little monks, believing the mission of God so strongly, so fervently and trusting in the Spirit of God, they would get into these little boats, they would put that sail up, and they would push off. And wherever the wind blew them to that next island or across the ocean or the sea, that's where they would, they would run them into land, and that's where they would preach the gospel and convert natives. That's faith. Are you trusting today the Spirit of God to direct your life? Are you trying to control everything and do everything and figure everything out and make plans for your life and, and get through this life and try to build your own kingdom and build your own boat and handle your own people? Are we saying, God, we are a part of something so great. God, you said in your word that Jesus Christ would come. He would die for us. He'd rose, rise again, that he was coming back, uh, Lord, very soon. And you'd give your spirit in the meantime, and we are supposed to be going and making disciples and building up the kingdom and preaching repentance and remission of sin until that day comes. And somewhere along the way, God, I've gotten distracted. Somewhere along the way, God, I've tried to do it on my own. Somewhere along the way, God, we've tried to build up our own lives and our own kingdoms, forgetting there's a flood coming, forgetting there's still a day of salvation, that if we can just tell the world by preaching righteousness through our life that we believe in this crazy guy, who the world mocks and slanders, and the world is growing in violence. Look at the news. But we stand, God, I'm safe in your arms. God, I believe this man's report. God, I'm building something with my life. I believe enough that I'm building something with it, God. And I'm going to one day walk through that door, and there's going to be a welcome home story for me that we're going to say, God, I've trusted you with my spirit. You've led me. You've guided me. You've never let me down. And God, I don't care what I've been through. I can rejoice that today is a new day. And I'm going to see that, that, that crystal sea, and I'm going to see God face to face, and I'm going to hear the holies of holies, and I'm going re- to just rejoice that there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth for us one day. That promise today, that rainbow is the promise of Jesus Christ that says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you to the very end. And he says, in my Father's house, there is room enough for you. My home is somewhere over the rainbow. You know it? 
Where are you at today? Are you faithful? Are you following the plans of God? Are you building something with your salvation? And are you being led by the Spirit? At the end of that journey of the ark, Noah took those clean animals and he made a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice. And God said, I'm going to give you a new covenant, Noah, and I'm going to start all over. When Jesus Christ came to this earth, he became that perfect sacrifice for us. His blood was shed for us, and he gave us a new covenant. And God said, I'm going to create something new for you new heaven and new earth. There's going to be no more mourning, no more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more death, no more violence. And that day the Lord will reign. Everything old will be wiped away and all things will be made new.